0: All right, so uh, like a lot of churches today, we didn't worship um, this morning, but because of the clearing of the roads and God's goodness, we're able to meet this afternoon, which means that what we were going to be considering this morning, we are simply shifting over to the afternoon, particularly as it relates to the sermon that you are about to hear. So we are getting back to our series. our bi weekly series on the book of First Peter. And we're picking up where we left off last time, which is chapter 1, verse 22. Um, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles, or if you have a device, you can look at that as well. And also on the overhead, we have the scripture text that we're dealing with. Again, chapter 1, verse 22 of 1 Peter, um, about the, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth book before the end of the Bible. And we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. Now, upon occasion i think it's it's good for us and i'll be very brief with this. but i think it's good for us to because this is a bi-weekly series to kind of go over periodically um kind of a brief review to kind of get our heads straight about what we're facing in uh, the passage we're dealing with and and here's here's I, i'm as part of the review i'm just going to say two things first of all let's remember. Um, the very thrust of the book of First Peter, which is basically this, that, that as Christians and as a church, God has called us to not separate ourselves from the world and just, as sometimes Christians do, say, well, the world is a bad place and it's out there and we are here as God's people just to worship him and build each other up. No, God has placed us not apart from the world, but in the center of the world. So we are in the world, we're called to live in this world and work in this world and witness in this world and by doing that then we demonstrate that we are actually for the world and for the blessing of the world like Psalm 67 says that we as God's people are to be a blessing to the nations because if we aren't, then who is? So we're to be in the world and also for the world but we are also to be careful that we, in the process of being for the world, don't cross the line and actually become like the world, where we, as the old term used to put it, uh, that we become worldly. Now, as you can imagine, saying yes to the world but also no to the world requires a very fine balance, a very fine tension. And if we're going to maintain that tension, that balance, we need to be committed to these things. We need to be committed to commitment. We need to be a committed people. Um, we need to be a people with a steely spine, committed to the theme of 1 Peter, which is not very easy to maintain this tension. We are to be a people who are holy, as we saw a couple weeks ago. We are to be a people who are hopeful, that as we carry out our task in the world, the Lord's going to bless us and ultimately bring us into our reward. And finally, this, as we're going to see this afternoon, very simply, we are to be a people Of love. And I know it sounds really, really simple, but the Bible over and over again calls us to be a people of love, to love the Lord above all, also one another, and also never to forget the world, that we are to love the world in a good way as we present our witness to it. Okay, that fine tension. Now, we pick up on the theme of love. Take a look at 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere Brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're going to end our reading there. I think if there's one challenge that we have as God's people, just if you look at your life just in terms of who you are as an individual, and if there's one challenge that always exists in the church, it's, it's the, the challenge to genuinely and openly and sincerely really love the Lord and to be open about that, but also to sincerely, in the words of Peter here, love um, each other. Because you know what, when you you take a look, particularly at the New Testament, that's not always what you see. You see a lot of calls for love, but I think of one church in particular, the the church in Corinth, you know, and the church in Corinth, it, it had a lot of struggles, but one of the biggest struggles it had was its inability among the members of the church to to really um, love one another. And if 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 the church does not love, if brothers and sisters Christ don't love one another, then there is no way that in light of the theme of book uh 1 Peter as a whole there's no way that they they can have any impact in the world. You know? And, you know, it's interesting that when you take a look at the cultural context of this book of 1 Peter, you know, Peter, remember, I don't know if you were here, maybe you weren't, but most of us were, the first time I ever preached on this in the opening two verses of chapter 1. And Peter is writing to individuals who are in Asia Minor, which is known as southern-day Turkey today, which is part of the overall Roman Empire. And it's very interesting, and uh, A.V., just be prepared, I'm going to ask you to put that quote up here in just a moment, But um, after the time of Peter, there was a a Roman emperor named Julian, known as Julian the Apostate. And Julian the Apostate was one who um, hated Christians and he hated Christianity. But he had to admit (laughs) that it was the love of Christians at his time that was quite captivating to individuals in the Roman Empire who were in need. And who needed to be cared for and showed mercy ministry. And, and this is what he said. Here's his admission, if you could put that up there. Emperor Julian, why do we not see that it is there, referring to Christians... Love for strangers and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase their numbers. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew has to beg and the impious Galileans, once again a reference to Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well, that all men see that our own people lack help from us. You know, there's a guy who's being transparent. He's saying, no, I don't like Christians. In fact, I hate Christians. I hate Christianity, but the truth of the matter is, it's the Christians who, in love, are showing more generosity and mercy to people in our empire than the pagans are. You see how powerful love is? And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be loving people for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of, of, of the world. Now... I want to bring something out uh, to you that that some of you may be aware of but you maybe you're not you know Peter who who writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was was an individual at one point in life who struggled with the matter of love so let me explain quickly you remember that when when Jesus was alive and Jesus is experiencing his three year ministry that that you had Peter who is one of the top three disciples of Jesus so you have uh, James, John, and Peter—they're known as Jesus's inner circle. And at one point, and this is typical Peter because he could be rather impulsive at times. He said, "Lord, I will follow you wherever you go, basically even unto death." And then you remember that when Jesus was uh, arrested and he was put on trial, all the all the twelve disciples who were followers of him for twelve for for three years just took off. They ran, and so did Peter. But Peter did one additional thing. Peter ended up denying publicly Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And you think about it, Jesus had every right just to cut off Peter and say, that's it, I don't trust you anymore. But rather, Jesus set out to restore Peter and you read about that in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And if you know that story, you remember that when Jesus was in the process of restoring Peter, he asked Peter three times, Do you love me? He asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. So three times, Jesus, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now listen carefully to this because you, you're not going to get this from the English text. But in the original language and from the New Testament, you find that there are two different kinds of of love. You have what's called phileo love philos, it's, a, it's kind of a brotherly affection, a kind of friendship type of love. And then there's the, the love that goes to the next level. It's, it's, a, a, it's a very deeply committed love, a self-sacrificial love. And so this is what's happening in the original language in John chapter 21. Jesus says to Peter, Peter do you love me? And The word for love that comes from Jesus' mouth is agape. In other words, you love me, Peter, because you have denied me. Do you truly love me, really, all the way to the point of death? Do you love me that much? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, I love you. But he doesn't use agape, self-sacrificial love. He uses phileo love, a friendship type of love, a brotherly love. Jesus asked Peter again, do you love me? Again, he uses the word agape. And Peter responds once again with phileo. Finally, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And when Jesus asks that, Jesus then uses the word phileo. In other words, do you love me even just as a friend? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo love. I do love you as a brother. And it's very interesting, Jesus then, he says, go on, feed my sheep, go carry out your calling. It's really at that point that Jesus recognizes something in Peter, as if to say, Peter, I know that's after your threefold denial, that's all you're willing to say to me because you don't even trust yourself to love me at a deeper level of agape, self-sacrificial love, but I will take that. I will take that, and I will make you into the kind of person that I want you to be. Now, I share that with you, because when Peter calls the people here to love, this is, he's drawing upon his own experience, okay? And he's saying, my brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not just love with brotherly or sisterly affection. Let us invest in one another and deeply, deeply love one another. So that he says, now look at verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere, now notice, phileo, brotherly love, he then says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So when you look at verse 22, he begins with brotherly love, but then he shifts it to agape love when he says, love one another. In other words, what Peter is saying is this. My friends, please, please. Move the love that you're to have uh, for each other, move it to the next level. Let it not be a superficial love or just a love between friends. Let it be a deeper kind of love, a self-sacrificial love, the kind of love, agape love, that the Bible uses in Ephesians 5 when it talks about the love between a husband and a wife. Let it go down to that deep level. In fact, the word agape love is the kind of love that's used in connection with God's love for us in Jesus Christ. A love that was so committed and self-sacrificial that God gave his one and only son over to death so that we could be saved from our sins and be blanketed with the love of God. Let your love, Peter is saying, reflect some of that kind of love that the Lord has shown to you. Now, you probably never thought when you're reading this, like, wow, that, that really, that kind of opens things up now, doesn't it? The kind of love that we are to have. That kind of love, by the way, is not, that, when Peter talks about love here, it's very interesting that unless you read further in the book, you're not going to know this, but when you read throughout the book, you're going to say, oh, wow, this, this theme of love is not just shown here in chapter one, but it's shown elsewhere as well. Could you put that next one on there? Notice what he says here. Look at you got 1 Peter 2, 3, 4, and 5. I put it in a very succinct fashion. Honor everyone. Love the brothers. Love the sisters. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, and there you go. Again, brotherly love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now you got agape love. For love covers a multitude of sins. And then he gets into the expression of love. For love is never just inside, right? Love is to be expressed. He says, greet one another then. As those who love each other, greet one another with a kiss of love. Wow. Do you imagine if people started coming to the pathway and they saw us kissing each other in the cheeks and welcoming each other, embracing each other? That would be quite something, right? There are some things that are a matter of culture here, right? But the point is, whatever culture and time you're living in, when Peter says, give each other a kiss of love, he's saying, express that love to each other in very tangible terms. Love one another. Now, as we move on, the question then becomes, as as, as we look at the passage, if how do, we, how do we go about possessing this kind of love? How is this love created in us, and how is this love cultivated in us? How, how, does, it, how does it actually grow? And when you go on to, to look at the text, this is what you see. I'm going to put verse 22 and the rest of the verses together. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, here's the command. Love one another, notice, not slightly, earnestly. Let it be genuine also from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So here's what he's basically saying. First, he says, as the body of Christ, we need to love one another to the next level. Not just phileo love, but agape love. How does that love emerge and is cultivated in our lives? And he says, by two things. you got the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you got the Word. Okay? These two things. And what Peter is saying here is that as Christians... We are those who are born again. He uses that term here, the the theological term is regenerated. And when we talk about regeneration or rebirth, we're really talking about the work of the Holy Spirit whereby he infuses new life in us. So when, when Peter's talking to these individuals throughout Asia Minor who have converted to Jesus Christ, he's basically saying there was a time when you were not converted. The time when you were not transformed by the grace of God. But when God took hold of you by his grace, he gave you his spirit. So in that, the Lord in your rebirth, says Peter, took what was dead in you, spiritual deadness, and he made you alive. He took that which was leading to sickness and he made you healthy. He took darkness out of your lives and he brought light into your lives. So when we talk about Regeneration or, 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 or spiritual rebirth, we're talking about a real, inner, beautiful, comprehensive transformation. So we all need to be born again, right? And every true Christian is born again. Now one other thing is, when the Spirit works new life in us through spiritual rebirth, the means that he often uses to do that, to create that new life in us is basically this. It's the Bible, particularly the preaching and the teaching and the reading of the Bible. So sometimes what you have is you have theologians that that use the term again for rebirth, they use the word regeneration. And just bear with me here, but what theologians do is they draw a distinction sometimes between what we call immediate and immediate regeneration. Immediate regeneration or rebirth is where the Spirit, apart from the Word, creates new life in us. And sometimes the Holy Spirit can do that in our earliest of years when we're very, very small. He works that new life in us. right? And then we give evidence of that over time. But more often than not, What happens is the Spirit uses the means of preaching and teaching and the reading of the Bible and the studying of the Bible. He uses this as an instrument or means whereby through our reading and hearing of it, he creates this new life in us and we become a new transformed people. Now the reason I take time in explaining that is because when the Spirit combines with the Word and starts creating new life in us, there is an effect That occurs in our lives. What happens is that more and more we put away our old ways and we start taking on the new ways of Christ. And one of the new ways of Christ is this. It's called love. It's called love. So, let me just leave you with this. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word in your life. This is, why, this is why at a place like Pathway, we're constantly encouraging each other to read the Bible, to study the Bible. That's why we do it in our care groups. That's why so much attention is paid in our worship services to preaching because we don't underestimate the gospel. And we don't underestimate the spirit combining with the gospel in creating life and in creating love within us. And sometimes that that's That uh, transformational work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is so profound and is so profound in this world that God takes an extremely embittered, resentful, vengeful, hateful person and he makes them into a new person and that is a person of mercy and of peace and of of love. Let me give you a quick um, example of that. I'll try to be brief with this, but I I think illustrations are important upon occasion. Um, Some of you may have heard of the name um, Louis Zamperini. Louis uh, Zamperini was uh, a U.S. Olympian, but he was also um, drafted into the U.S. Army during World War II, and he was a bombardier. I think it was a B-17 bomber. And he and his crew one time were shot down, and they were uh, captured by the Japanese, and he went through... Some terrible, terrible things in a series of concentration camps. And he was tortured by many individuals. And he was tortured in particular by a very evil camp commandant whom they simply called the Bird. Now, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about because about 10 years ago, a book came out simply called Unbroken. And there was a, a subsequent movie called Unbroken. Well, at any rate, um, as we move on quickly, Zamparini. Uh, survived the concentration camps, he returned to Los Angeles, California, where he was living, uh, and he was married at the time. And, but the thing is, he had a, a severe case of what we know today as PTSD, and he was also just consumed with absolute hatred for that camp, camp commandant that just that ruined his life in so many ways. Well, he came back to Los Angeles, California, and he fell into extreme alcoholism, had a terrible time with his wife and their marriage, and at one point in the middle of the night, he found himself on top of his wife, um, just choking, just choking her, and 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 she screamed, and he finally woke up, and he realized that he was having a dream where he was just choking the life out of the bird. So the point is, is that his his life was consumed by hate, and it was just simply unraveling. Well, it was in nineteen forty nine, about four years later, that uh, if you know some of the history of this, that Billy Graham had a series of. Um, of, of meetings. It was a crusade in Los Angeles. It was a series of evenings where he was preaching at a stadium. And uh, uh, Louis Zamperini's wife said, I want to go hear him because Billy Graham was somewhat of a celebrity at the time. So she went to hear him and she became touched by the gospel. And she turned came home because Louis didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity or Graham or anything like that. And she begged him to come. He said, no way, no way. And finally, a couple nights later, he said, okay, okay, I'll go. And he went. And Billy Graham, I don't know what he was preaching on, but, you know, if you, you know his crusades, he spent a lot of time preaching a basic Bible message and then they always had what they called the altar call and people would come forward and they always played Just As I Am without one play. You know, they played the same song and he would, and, and at that point he felt, he felt compelled. Um, and he came forward and it wasn't just kind of an emotional high for him. He came forward sincerely and at that point uh, something happened to him that he was transformed and he repented and what happened after that is he said I need to go to Japan I want to find my captors and I want to find my torturers and that's what he did and he went and uh, he went to Japan and he found a number of those who had tortured him and he he said I want to go there I want to share the gospel with them and he never found the bird he always wanted to find the bird never found the bird but he he did he did write something to that man this is what he wrote if you put that up there please As a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post war life was a nightmare, but thanks to a confrontation with God, I committed my life to Christ, and now love has replaced the hate that I had for you. Now, you you may have never experienced something like this in your life, but sometimes you do find people like this, and you find people are very bitter and hateful in the world, and yet... Yet when they become a Christian, their whole life has changed. And you go, how do you account for that? How do you account for that transformation? The reason why I take some time to explain this is that Peter says, you account for that transformation just simply But what I'm telling you here is It's where the Spirit of God, who is sovereign and who is powerful, combines with the Word and He makes it alive in our lives so that hatred is replaced by the very thing that we all need, which is love. Now, with that having been said, Peter goes on, I want to bring one other thing out here in the passage. Peter does go on basically to say this, okay, we experience a radical transformation where new life is infused and we become a people of love, okay, that's the principle. But that doesn't mean that we're finished products, doesn't mean that we're never going to struggle with lovelessness, it's going to stay with us all our lives. And this is why he goes on to say in chapter 2 verse 1, he says, so... Having come under the power of God's spirit and word, put away. We could almost put in parentheses there, put away all remaining. Malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So these are things, when you think of malice, you think of intense hatred with a vengeful spirit. You think of deceit, the deceitfulness of sin. You think of hypocrisy and double-mindedness and double-heartedness in our lives. And you think of, here again, you have two things next, envy and slander. When you slander someone, you're you're speaking ill of them to others. All these things, slander and, and deceit and malice and envy, these things that just consume our culture, and we see them in the shows that we watch, whether it be Amazon or it would be Netflix or whatever. You look at these dramas. They're filled with these kinds of things. And Peter says, listen, it's not just out there. It's in every one of us. We struggle with these things, the, reman- the, the, the remnants. And we, we know we're supposed to love the Lord. We know that we're supposed to love each other. And yet we keep falling periodically into these things. And Peter says put away the same spirit and word that, 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 that created new life within you is the same spirit and word that is going to diminish these things in your life so that if you find according to chapter 2 verse 1 you struggle with that envy or deceit or slander or malice or these kinds of things which we all do upon occasion. If, 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 these, if these things just over time, like Zamperini, if these things over time really start consuming us, then we really have to ask ourselves some very personal questions like, then do I, do I really understand the gospel? Or do I understand the gospel by meaning good news of the love of God in Christ that was given to us? Okay, I know that up here, but there seems to be a disconnect with what I know up here and what my heart is embracing and what my words are saying or what I am I am doing. That sometimes there's that, that disconnect. And then many times, many times, if we continue to struggle deeply with these things, which we all do, then that's usually an indication that we're not fully formed in Christ, that there's still certain levels of immaturity in us. So what do we do about that? And this is why Peter says this. I'll leave you just with verses 2 and 3. He says, like newborn infants, and this is a very simple illustration, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Continue, continue to read and continue to, to be shaped by and, and, and to long for this it's kind of simple the things that he says here right long for this um, and that's a lifelong thing isn't it that's a lifelong thing you know that the, the the whole the whole, you think about it um, there are there are times in our lives where we'd like to think we're farther along than we are. And, in many ways, you know, you and I together are kind of more like infants than we are adults. Sometimes, right? You think of a little baby, and you know, we got a lot of number a number of younger families in the church. And you think of when when you had that little boy or that little girl uh, given to you by the Lord, and when that when that little boy or that little girl came into the world. You, you remember how you can you can just sometimes hold the baby like this. You know, you'd be sitting there and the baby's body is here and the head's in your hand. I mean, the, 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 the baby's head's no bigger than this, you know, just a little infant. And then, and then you know, that, that baby latches onto the mama and starts feeding from the mama, you know. And isn't it amazing that within a few short weeks how plump that kid is getting? They come in there like a string bean sometimes, you know but they start growing their their cheeks start filling out and you know, all like you like wow you know and then we make jokes about the mama's milk being you know half and half and that kind of thing right cuz the baby's just growing and growing but we rejoice in that because it's a sign of the health of that child and peter says that's the way you need to think of yourselves in the hands of the lord you're just like a little infant longing longing for the milk of the mother long for the milk of the word and ask for the spirit to make that word live in the light of some of the immaturity that we sometimes experience. So Peter's Peter's calling on us very simply to, to if we love the Lord, that we also, he says, as part of the body of Christ, love each other. And it's when we do that, that we then demonstrate in a very attractive way the beauty of love to the world. So let me ask you this. You know, um, in, in the series on... Um, Spiritual characteristics that we should all have, right, as individual Christians and as a church. We'll get back to that next week as we look at the matter of hope. Okay, hope. But um, let me ask you this. You remember in the, in the series on, um, on, on character attributes that we should have, I, I at certain points said, how would people who are closest to you describe you, characterize you? Would they say, now so-and-so is characterized by joy, or so-and-so is really characterized by gratitude? Or so-and-so is characterized, in the case of this passage, love. With those closest to you, let's say they're your spouse. Or let's say um, it's a fellow church member. Or let's say it's that, that maybe that, that non-Christian co-worker that you work with almost daily. If people who are close to you were asked, how would you characterize so-and-so? Is the first thing that comes to your mind... Love, like that. Every time I get in the presence of that person, I just feel love. I think. I think for most of us, we would say, you know, maybe, maybe, but then sometimes not. It really kind of depends on the day, doesn't it? And, you know. And, and as I was going through this through this passage, you know, and I was thinking, well. Um, how, would, how would people characterize me? Would they say, now, Pastor Grotenheis, when I ever get in his presence, I just feel love. And I think, maybe, and other times not. I think they say, hmm, sometimes it's not love. Sometimes, you know, he's pretty direct. Or he's, he's, uh, he's blunt, or he's irritated, or he's frustrated, or that kind of thing. Well, then I think, then we're all in this together, aren't we? Because it really depends on the day. I think, I think there's times when, as moms, we think if we would ask our kids, "Hey, today did you think mom was just love?" Like, mm, you know, or husbands and wives, no, we're not always loving, and we don't always exude, we don't always exude the kind of love that the Lord in Christ has for us, do we? You know, and that's why Peter encourages us, and Peter, if Peter's saying. I'm there with you. I am there with you. I do not always love in the way that I I love either. I mean, I I demonstrated it to Jesus at one point. I denied him three times. But I know that the Lord's not done with me yet. And I know that the Lord, says Peter, has given me the spirit and the word, and now I'm writing to you to long for the, the greater fullness of the spirit and the greater work of the word of the Lord so that together then we may grow in the one thing that the Lord calls us to, And that's love. Remember the words of Jesus. He says, by this will the world know that you are my disciples, if you what? If you love one another. And may the Lord increase that uh, in us as the days go by. Let's pray for that now, in fact. Let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, I mean, the truth of the matter is if there is one shortcoming in our lives that we struggle with, it's a simple matter of love. Lord, we confess uh, this afternoon that we don't always love you in the way that we should. I- in fact, it's it's almost embarrassing, Lord, when we compare the kind of love for you with the kind of love that you have shown to us. And and love, one, uh, or Lord, one, one of the reasons why we started Pathway is not only so that we could be more open, as we have said uh, in, in a previous sermon, but also so that we could maybe love on one another in ways that we did not always before, but also, Lord, that that through our loves, the body of Christ, we might give a beautiful impression to those who come to this church, but also those with whom we interact with during the week. So, Lord, give us what we can't manufacture, really, on our own. We pray, give us a heart of love, and then, Father, we pray that that love over time, would deepen, it would broaden, it would grow. And that it would grow not only here, but it would grow, O Lord, in our relationships, in our marriages, in the way that we pastor and shepherd our children, in the way that we interact with people around us in the world, especially those who don't know Christ. So Father, grant us these things. It's kind of a big prayer, Father, but we know that you're a big God. You're a sovereign God. And Lord, if you can create the world simply by the word of your mouth and say, let it be, and it is, oh Lord, you can do this for us too. We pray that you would. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.